0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. I, I always have to qualify that after I say it because then I end up covering topics like this one today where I don't love all things tech. I guess it's, it's being a little A little disingenuous to make that claim. But recently, critical thinking has really been on my mind a lot. Uh, I always want to be a critical thinker, though like most humans, I do have lapses. Sometimes I encounter a message that is so appealing that my desire for it to be true can override my skepticism, and I'll fail to ask myself, or anyone else for that matter, important questions to make sure that what is being promised is, in fact, realistic and achievable. My goal to minimize the number of times I go along with a pitch simply because it was a really good pitch. But technology sometimes makes that really hard. And I want to talk about this challenge because it's one that we all encounter. Technology is undeniably amazing. Just think about how much humans have achieved in a very short amount of time. For most of human history, our technological advancement was really slow. We completed some monumental achievements in art and architecture and, sadly, in finding new ways to kill each other, but apart from some early experiments in steam power and a few interesting ideas from geniuses like Leonardo da Vinci, we really didn't see incredibly rapid advances. Then we get to the 19th century, when a combination of factors led to the Industrial Revolution. That revolution increased productivity and led to conditions that made it possible for more innovators to experiment and expand our knowledge, understanding, and ability to exploit the world around us. Then we get to the 20th century and the development of computers and the transistor, miniaturization, mass-produced plastic, and some other important innovations that would allow for truly rapid technological evolution. Consider this. When I was a kid, there was no public internet. Cell phones were pretty much restricted to R&D labs. Personal computers had just entered the market. Many of today's fastest-growing companies couldn't have existed because the business they are based off of didn't have a platform yet. For a while, it remained possible for the average person to know enough about the technology they encountered to deal with it when things went wrong, at least for most of the technology. Some, like television sets and stuff, were already well beyond the understanding of the average person. But this actually got harder to do as technology advanced, and we've seen it manifest in many ways. A good example of this is in the automotive industry. Classic cars can be complicated, but with some training and practice, an owner can learn how to do maintenance and repairs on a lot of different parts of the car by themselves. There's a learning curve there, but it's totally possible. And there are a lot of people who love to take old cars and restore them as sort of a passion project. Today, cars tend to have components in them that are high-tech and sealed away in such a way as to make it difficult or impossible to access without proprietary tools and a deep understanding of how they work. You might not be able to tell what's wrong with a car without a special diagnosis scanning tool. And after learning what's wrong, you might not be able to do anything about it yourself. As cars get more advanced with features like various sensors and systems for stuff like lane assist, adaptive cruise control, parking assist, and more, they become harder to maintain by the owner. They're turning into what folks call a black box in which you have a type of technology where the inner workings are hidden away from the user. It doesn't literally have to be hidden from sight. It can just be so complicated that the average person finds it inaccessible. And this leads us to a real challenge. As we have learned more about the universe, we've specialized in our focus. We had to. We quickly reached a point in which it's pretty much impossible to have a deep understanding of all subjects. The of our understanding has grown. We've pushed back the boundaries of ignorance. But now, There's just too much to know for any one person to know it all. And the stuff we've built has capitalized on this focused understanding, but it also means that it's created a barrier for us. We might know that something works, but we don't necessarily understand how it works because it's based off a principle that's alien to us. And this was bound to happen, but it creates a dangerous situation. It's dangerous for a few different reasons. First... We, as consumers, can grow complacent. We expect stuff to work. And when that stuff doesn't work, we're frustrated. Worse, because we probably don't understand how that stuff works, we don't really know how to go about fixing it. On a positive note, that usually means there's opportunity for people with expertise to make a living as a troubleshooter or repair professional. But it means that as consumers, we have less ability to work with the stuff we actually consume. Second, our technology is approaching the point where it could be really dangerous if we don't understand exactly how it's working. As machine learning models and artificial intelligence become more sophisticated, it becomes more important for us to understand how these systems are coming to conclusions. It's pretty cool to say, hey, I built this machine learning model and I trained AI on how to recognize a person's face. Maybe you built the model to work with a camera manufacturer so that the cameras they make automatically detect a face and then focus on it. But that same technology could potentially be used in tracking and identification systems. And if that system was being used by, say, law enforcement, you want to understand exactly how the system is identifying people so that you can audit it and make sure that it's being accurate and not having a lot of false flags. Otherwise, you run the risk of having the machine mistakenly identify people during an investigation, which at the very least could be disruptive. Or to go back to cars for a second, consider driverless cars. Now, I am still optimistic about driverless cars, but I've tempered my expectations on when we might see them. In my mind, I was thinking, well, a car decked out with sensors and a really fast computer system would be able to detect potential problems and react to them far faster and more logically than a human. I even thought a computer system could be able to monitor completely around a vehicle, whereas a human is typically focused on whatever's directly in front of him or her, or perhaps in a mirror, but can't pay attention to all directions at the same time. And sure, machines can react in a fraction of the time it takes humans to do it, but machines are really good at handling routine situations and then responding appropriately. The more unusual an event, the harder it is for the machine to cope with it. Machines typically aren't terribly adaptive, and so with many millions of cars on the road, plus bicyclists, pedestrians, animals, debris, weather events, and other factors, it's pretty rare for any drive of a significant length to be completely quote-unquote normal. So we need to design autonomous cars that can adapt to situations. But that also means we need to understand what decisions a car will make or at the very least determine why a car behaved in one way versus an alternative. And so there's a move in AI and artificial neural network circles to make these processes as transparent as possible so that we're not caught off guard when a machine takes a particular action. And third, advanced technology has given us unrealistic expectations of exactly what was possible. After all, 200 years ago, we wouldn't really dream of going up into space. A century ago, we might dream of it, but we still had no real understanding of how we would accomplish it. Then, within another five decades, we were sending people up to space, then to the moon. And now we have private companies designing launch vehicles that can return to Earth to be refurbished and used again in future launches. That's pretty incredible. We also have seen technology go from enormous to the very tiny. In the 1940s, a computer took up a lot of space maybe the entire floor of a building, and its processing power would be a fraction of what you'd find in the average smartphone these days. Miniaturization and Moore's Law have conditioned us to think that technology is capable of pretty much anything. I mean, it has to be. We wouldn't have assumed that it'd be easy to get your hands on a portable computer capable of acting like a camera, a communications device, and a direct link to the world's largest repository of human knowledge— even if most of that knowledge seems to be centered on cats. But that means when someone comes forward with extraordinary claims, it's easier for us to take them at face value. Technology has created an environment in which what was impossible yesterday becomes a mundane, everyday task tomorrow. And this means that people can leverage that to our disadvantage. In some cases, you might be dealing with an outright snake oil salesman type someone who knows very well that the dream they're peddling isn't based in reality. But in other cases, you might have sincere people who truly believe they've either cracked the code on something that was previously thought impossible, or they feel they're right on the cusp. And if they can just get enough funding to cover costs, they'll get the rest of the way there. Now, in a way... This could be a good thing, as it means that innovators have more access to resources than ever before, and it could lead to great discoveries. But in other cases, it can lead to frustration, financial hardship, and worse. When we come back after this quick break, I'll give an example that's in everyone's minds right now. There's probably no better company to point to when you're talking about the dangers of wishful thinking than Theranos. And I know it's been in the news a lot. You've probably heard tons about it. Maybe you've seen the documentary about it. Maybe you've seen the the various articles or listened to the podcasts about it. But we're going to talk about it a little bit more in this context. And just to give you an overview in case you haven't encountered this... A woman named Elizabeth Holmes founded the company after she dropped out of Stanford. I do not know her. I do not know whether or not she sincerely believed or believes that the tech she was seeking to invent could really work. But I do know that, as of right now, it isn't working, and that's a big problem. For those of you who are unfamiliar with this story, let's give a quick summary. Elizabeth Holmes wanted to create tech that could disrupt the healthcare industry. It would, in theory, give more control and agency to consumers who could learn much more about their health on their own without the need to make an appointment with a doctor and undergo numerous blood draws to have various blood tests performed. The basic idea was that Theranos would develop a device capable of taking a very small sample of blood, small enough to be drawn from the tip of a finger. It would then run a battery of tests to look for indicators of different conditions and diseases. Within a relatively short time, it would produce the results, giving the user more information about their health, which in theory would help that person have meaningful conversations with the physician if there were any markers that raised concern. And it's a very powerful, very compelling idea. There are technologies like labs on a chip and microprocessors designed to detect the presence of certain markers that indicate the presence of illness, but this would wrap all of that up into a single package. In fact, Holmes worked on a project related to this after her first year at Stanford. She joined the Genome Institute in Singapore and was overseeing blood tests. She first envisioned a sort of armband that would use micro needles, and those micro needles would both draw small blood samples and would also administer medication on an as-needed basis. She later led a team to work on a machine that would accept a small capsule containing a blood sample and attempt to run multiple tests on that sample. This was in stark contrast with the normal medical procedure, in which a doctor or nurse would draw numerous vials of blood for testing, send those samples off to one of two major lab testing companies in the United States, If Theranos' technology worked, the company could totally upend that system in the U.S. Patients could go to a clinic to have a test run and get the results back in hours rather than having to take a trip to the doctor's office, sit for a blood draw, and wait several days. It could end up being cheaper than the old approach. Theranos executives like Holmes stressed that this would put patients in control of their own health information and could provide many benefits, such as a heads up for possible problems in the future or catching something early enough to treat it before it became too severe. But the problem is that this depended upon that if Theranos' technology worked thing. As it turned out, the tech wasn't working. At least, it wasn't working at the level the company was striving for. The engineers at Theranos were trying really hard to create a diagnostic device that could take that small blood sample and run it through a lot of tests. But as it turns out, that's actually incredibly complicated. Using such a small sample was already a huge challenge. On top of that, you have issues you have to worry about, like contamination. A contaminated sample could give off false positives, creating a situation in which a patient believes they might have a particular disease or a condition when that isn't really the case, or it could mask something that the patient would need to know about, but because the results would be inconclusive, they wouldn't know about it. Now, perhaps the hope was that the company would be able to develop the technology rapidly with the help of large investments in the company. And sure enough, there were a lot of folks with deep pockets who poured money into Theranos. And you can sort of understand why, If it all worked, it would be a revolution in medicine. The company would stand to gain billions of dollars. The cause appeared to be noble, and the outcome looked like it would be incredibly profitable. It was a very tempting opportunity, and many didn't resist that temptation. On top of all that, it was dependent upon technology, and as I mentioned, we've come to a point where we believe technology can do just about anything, so it didn't seem outside the realm of possibility that a microchip inside a sophisticated machine would be able to run a series of tests on a small blood sample and come up with meaningful results. But flash forward a few years, and a bombshell of an article revealing that there was really a shell game going on at Theranos tells us that now we know the technology was a failure, that Theranos was depending upon the same sort of machines that the company was purporting to replace with its innovative approach, that hundreds or thousands of patients in trial locations were potentially at risk due to unreliable results, and that the company used some pretty draconian tactics to keep employees in line and prevent them from speaking out about what was going on. It's about as bad an outcome as you could imagine. What's more, there are those who say that even if everything had worked, the whole enterprise was misguided in the first place. A piece in Wired by Noam Cohen cites a couple of those people. The piece has the title, The Other Big Lesson We Should Learn from Theranos. Cohen mentions Faye Flam, who wrote a piece in Bloomberg that argued Theranos was tapping into another deep human desire, the illusion of controlling our own destiny. Through Theranos, we could end up getting our own test results and then apply our own interpretations to them. Perhaps we would interpret them in a way that is most comforting to us, or one that seems to align with our preconceived ideas about our health. This isn't exactly the best way to handle a medical issue. Surely it makes more sense to have a trained medical professional provide an unbiased, objective interpretation of test results. That gives you the best chance to take appropriate actions that will help you lead a better, healthier life. So yeah, it was a really compelling sales pitch. No wonder so many people were on board. If it worked, it'd be cheaper, less painful, more convenient, and, at least on the surface, more empowering than the established method. It was the sort of thing we'd want to believe in, so people did. I think autonomous cars are following a similar trajectory. Now, to be clear, I feel that a lot of great work has been done in autonomous cars. They are much further along than a mythical blood testing device that only ever got approval for performing one type of blood test when it was supposed to be able to run more than 100 of them. But we still have a long way to go. Unfortunately, because of our experiences dealing with truly amazing tech and the expectation that, of course, technology can take care of the problem, we've had some high-profile accidents that prove this isn't the most reliable philosophy. Again, it would be understandable to put a lot of faith in the tech. Google's self-driving cars, which have been pioneers in the field, famously operated at first in secret and then openly, for hundreds of driving miles without a single accident. Or at least that was the official story. There have been a few accidents, most of which were likely the fault of a human driver, either the safety operator in the autonomous vehicle or the driver of another car. But later reports suggested that there were some serious accidents, at least a few of which were caused by the autonomous driving system behaving in an unexpected way. The company kept these accidents quiet, and so there was an unearned expectation of safety with this tech. Then, enter Tesla and the autopilot feature in the company's electric vehicles. While the company issued a statement that made it clear that this feature wasn't supposed to replace a human driver, that didn't stop people from trying it out that way. Most of those people didn't have any problems— But in at least a couple of cases, drivers using Autopilot ended up in tragic situations. One of those was the case of Joshua Brown in 2016. His Model S Tesla crashed into a semi-truck. Brown had been using the Autopilot feature. According to the vehicle's data logs, out of the 37 minutes Brown had the Autopilot feature turned on, his hands were on the wheel for just 25 seconds total in direct violation of the policy that Tesla had set. The company stressed that autopilot isn't meant to replace human drivers and that the car's driver should have had their hands on the wheel at all times. The second fatal incident happened in March 2018, when Wei Walter Huang's Model X veered into a highway safety barrier. Recently, his family sued Tesla, alleging the company was aware of the dangers of the features, that Huang had been operating the vehicle within the parameters of autopilot, and that Tesla had been using drivers like Huang to beta test changes to the feature in the wild. That suit is just getting started as I record this episode. And I don't mean to pick on Tesla. After all, I started this by talking about how Google kept several accidents on the QT. One of Uber's self-driving cars in its beta test program in Arizona struck and killed a pedestrian in March 2018. State prosecutors decided that Uber isn't liable for the accident, but that the safety operator who was in the car might bear some responsibility for failing to act before the accident. According to VentureBeat, the operator was streaming a video of The Voice and watching that rather than The Road. It's quite possible that companies pushing autonomous car technology are doing their best to keep incidents quiet in an effort to avoid government regulations and interference, which could threaten the profitability of such a pursuit. But at the same time, these high-profile incidents have dealt a blow to consumer confidence about the technology in general, and they really reinforce that driving is more complicated than just staying within your lane and braking if something is in the way. Before I wrap up this section, I do want to also mention that, at least according to Tesla, the autopilot feature has proven to be safer than human drivers operating vehicles unassisted. According to Tesla's report, there was one accident per 2.87 million miles driven where autopilot was engaged, and one accident per 1.76 million miles driven when it wasn't. And that according to government statistics— The average is an automobile crash every 436,000 miles. However, skeptical researchers have found that Tesla hasn't always been honest, or at the very least, correct, about its safety reports. A firm called Quality Control Systems sued the United States National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, in order to get the data the agency said had proved that Tesla's Autopilot had cut back on crashes by 40%. In fact, QCS found that in cases in which all the data was available, which was just a fraction of the cases the NHTSA had used to come up with that 40% mark, the auto steer feature on Autopilot actually increased crash rates by 59%. So what does all this mean? Well, I'll get back to that in, in a second. But first, let's take a quick break. So am I saying you shouldn't believe anyone? Well, that's not quite it. I think a better thing to say is don't accept anything at face value. Sometimes people can just be wrong about stuff. It happens to me more often than I care to admit. But the responsible thing to do in those cases is to own up to the mistake and correct it where you can. I am certain that at least some people who thought they were onto some sort of free energy device, for example, really did think they were onto something. Others might have suspected that what they were pursuing was impossible, but they had already invested too much to back out. At any rate, whether it's a perpetual motion machine or an over-unity engine, the simple fact is that these devices have never been proven to actually work as described. Supporters say this is because there are powerful entities, like petroleum companies, that will use every means to keep such devices from being deployed. But at the level of classical physics, such a device would have to defy laws of physics that have stood the test of time. Now, does that mean that such a device is impossible? No, it's not impossible, but it does mean you need truly extraordinary, irrefutable proof that it worked. In other cases, people are being outright dishonest in an effort to advance their own agendas. They might take efforts to hide any deficiencies in the technology or to overly elevate stuff that's working to make it seem more important than it is. They might just be stalling for time in the hopes that a breakthrough is right around the corner and they can reap the benefits once it all pans out. Now, we're going to see technology continue to advance and evolve. In most cases, we'll see it do so gradually. Perhaps so gradually that we don't really appreciate how incredible that technology can be. I have owned smartphones for about 10 years or so, and now I take it for granted that I have access to them. But as a kid, it would have totally floored me to know that such a thing would be possible in my lifetime, let alone that I would actually own one. When confronted with claims about technology, it's good to ask questions. Questions like, How is this possible? How does it work? What is it doing differently from earlier versions of this tech? If it's a technology that relates to a specialized field, it might be necessary to consult experts in that field to get good answers. There's no shame in that. Heck, if someone presented a technology to me with claims that the whole thing worked on quantum principles, I'd need to consult with an expert. I have the most basic understanding of high-level quantum physics. And once you get past that, it's all beyond me. I might suspect something fishy, but I'd have no way of knowing, on my own anyway, if my suspicions were warranted. I would need to consult with someone far more educated and experienced than I in the world of quantum physics to get a better handle on it. Now, the more vague the claims, the more skepticism you should apply. If the claim includes disconnected scientific terminology, particularly if it is getting into fields like quantum physics, that's a red flag you need to pay closer attention to those claims. Or it might even include non-scientific or meaningless language, which is another big warning sign. Maybe you'll see a device that claims that if you wear it, the device will boost your quote-unquote energy in some way. But what does that actually mean? Terms must first be defined. And then you can move on to the next question, which is, well, how the heck does it do this thing you claim it's doing? For gadgets or technologies that cite experts, it's good to find out who those experts are. If there's language like, studies show that blah, 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 it's good to find out who did the actual study. Was it a reputable third party that could provide an objective, unbiased point of view? Or was it an in-house team or biased party that's lending credence to claims without actually finding out if those claims have merit. Moreover, we have to remember that tech isn't magic, though science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke did once observe that any sufficiently advanced technology would seem to be magic to us. Technology has limits. There are fundamental physical limits that tech can't break through. And just because we see tech doing some stuff really well doesn't mean it can do everything equally well. I know I go on about critical thinking a lot in this show, but the reason I do that is I want people to apply that skill set in their lives to make better informed decisions. I want you guys to avoid pitfalls, whether they are purposefully placed in your path or not. I want you to be able to spot a mistake or a scam. I want you to follow your suspicions when you feel something isn't on the up and up. And along with that, I do urge the use of compassion. Please keep in mind that not everyone hawking tech that promises too much is doing so out of malice or greed. Some could be genuinely misled by what the tech can do. And so it's a good idea to have critical thinking and compassion go hand in hand. Try to understand not just how realistic the claim is, but the person making the claim. If they're intentionally trying to mislead people and take advantage of them, well, they're kind of scummy, and I feel they should be called out on that behavior, but maybe they're just believing in something they want to believe in because of the promise it makes. That doesn't necessarily make them bad. It might mean they are gullible or that they are in a situation that they desperately want out of, and the promise seems to suggest an escape route. So, long story short, don't believe all the hype. Ask questions. Ask for clarification when you get answers to make sure that those answers are actually substantive and they mean something. Be prepared to dismiss a claim if the support for that claim is lacking. Also be prepared to accept a claim if the support merits it. One of the biggest complaints about skeptics is that they are seen as people who dismiss claims out of hand. And for some people, that is true, although we typically call them deniers rather than skeptics. But most of us try to keep in mind that if extraordinary proof for a claim exists, we should be willing to adjust our worldview to incorporate this new idea, even if it previously seemed impossible. The proof just has to be there. And don't just assume everyone is out to pull one over on you. Just be aware there are those people out there, too. In short, be good human beings. And... Keep in mind, again, technology as it advances, we're going to keep running into this problem. Because we see it do amazing things in one arena, we might expect it can do equally amazing things in another, and that's not always the case. Well, that's it for this soapbox edition of Tech Stuff and my uh, regular call for critical thinking. I think it's particularly important to consider it now in the wake of things like Theranos and Uh, Facebook and all of its controversies and related technological issues. And, of course, you can and should use critical thinking well outside the world of technology. You should apply it pretty much everywhere in your life so that you can be reasonably sure you're getting the real deal and not being misled. If you guys have suggestions for a future episode of Tech Stuff, you can contact me. The email address for the show is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for both of those is techstuffhsw. You can head on over to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. That is an archive of all of our previous episodes, plus links to our uh, background on the show, as well as to our, our online store where every purchase you make goes to help the show. We greatly appreciate it. And I will talk to you again really soon.